As mentioned this morning, we're always excited at the opportunity that we have to assemble in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Timothy 3.15 reminds us that our assembly, the church, is not only the pillar and ground of the truth, but it's the household of God. We have the precious privilege then of being in the greatest of all families. So good to see each and every one here this evening. Hope that you've had a very blessed day on this first day of the week. And what better way could we each have selected to conclude it than by engaging in our heartfelt praise and exaltation of Jesus Christ our Lord. To conquer a mighty foe. You've already noted the title of the lesson this evening. If you'd be turning to 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, we will be encamping for at least the majority of our lesson in that particular chapter of the Word of God this evening, the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel. The notion of overcoming a foe, of conquering a foe, is probably a matter that is, at least in principle, something that we easily understand. I suspect that in an assembly such as this one, we each have at some point faced our foes and perhaps many of them. May I suggest, as you start near the top of that slide with me, that it's certainly fair to say that in regard to a foe, we might do well to appreciate this truth, namely, a foe. I've asked you to notice definition. One that involves the concept of personal enmity, someone that's out to get it for you or me. Someone who does not have your best interest at heart and particularly exerts effort to make your roadway more challenging, to make your ma matter more difficult than it otherwise must be. There are situations in life where there are people who are like that. Sad to say, isn't it? They don't have you and me in terms of best interest at heart. Sometimes they're motivated by selfishness. Sometimes they're motivated by jealousy. Sometimes they're motivated by envy. Sometimes they're motivated by other particular matters in life, but they do you and I no favors materialistically. On the other hand, sometimes the foe that we face may not be a person. Maybe it is a particular dream that you would wish or an aspiration you might wish to accomplish, and it seems as if one roadblock after another is ultimately causing tremendous mental anguish in that you can see slipping through your fingers is the dream you once had hoped. Sometimes it's illness. Some particular malady or disease, if you please, might well have come our way or someone near and dear to us, and due to that diagnosis, there is a rather gigantic mountain that needs to be hurdled and climbed. The foe, you see, that which might well be our adversary, can take a number of particular possible realities. No matter the particular one it might be, are there any wisdom pieces in the Word of God that might help us to approach it, to do so with a prudent and a proper mindset? Probably by the very mention of 1 Samuel 17, you might have a sense of where we're headed tonight. But I hope it'll be a renewed and refreshed consideration. I would ask that you step through it with me as we somehow set the fold that's under discussion here. And we'll use that as a particular idea to help motivate us to draw a few lessons that might be very helpful to us as well. Let's look at the fold that was under discussion here. May I read the opening three verses of chapter 17? 
Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Ezekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. The king of Israel at this time was a man named Saul. We are somewhat familiar with him, and he by this point had already been king at least 30 years, it would seem. And so he was rather familiar to the people of Israel. They knew about his leadership. They understood many of the features characteristic of him by this time. But you'll notice he was leading the children of Israel in battle against a rather familiar enemy, the Philistines. Now, we have known about them for many previous books in the Bible. They have often been a bit of a thorn in Israel's side. And sometimes, really even more than a thorn, they actually had the upper hand. A few times in the book of Judges, you may remember Samson led Israel in battle against them. But you might notice about the midst of that slide, we come to this observation. And I've chosen to include a map that I thought might be somewhat helpful. It gives you an image, a picture of the geography of what you and I have just read. You may notice a line that looks more or less horizontal. It certainly dips down from the upper left and trails down, but that particular line is indicative of the Valley of Elah. The children of Israel were positioned on the northern side of it. They occupied a little ridge just to the north of that valley. The Philistines occupied a ridge just to the south of it. And therefore, there was that valley separating these opposing armies. Israel positioned on the north of the valley. The Philistines positioned on the south. This next map gives you a bit of a topographic impression. You'll notice you can see the valley there, basically in the midst of the picture, and a, a, a rise to the south and a rise to the north. And you can imagine... These opposing armies, one on each one of the little hills with a valley in between. It allowed you to easily see your enemy positioned like that. You could easily see how many there appeared to be. You could see the size of what appeared to be your enemy. Let's go back to the previous slide, though, and continue our journey because verse number 4 is going to pose for us a rather graphic display of a particular enemy. A foe. Let's read it. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had an helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And the spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. At the bottom of this slide, I have tried to summarize what would appear to be some reasonably accurate information about Goliath. Notice he's called a champion. He had no doubt enjoyed a number of previous Philistine victories over any number of potential enemies. And we can begin to see a bit of his size can indicate why he might have been called this. Note in particular, 
The text says he stood six cubits and a span high. The ancient cubit was not as well defined as our modern standards of measuring length. It would seemingly be safe to say he stood at least nine and a half feet tall. Not only that, look at what's next. If you just give thought to what the weight of someone that tall would be, even if he weren't particularly hefty, it might be fairly reasonable to suppose he would have weighed about 450 pounds. Nine and a half feet tall, weighing well over 400 pounds, probably was not at all unreasonable, but there's more. Look at what else you might note. The text informs us a bit about the armament with which he was armed. If you look at, again, the shekel, as it's mentioned, it was a shekel of brass. It would appear that the weight of that armor would have been roughly 125 pounds. Not only that, the spear alone was such that the head of it weighed about 17 pounds. By now, if you're adding all that up, I'm getting a bit tired thinking about it. To walk around carrying all of this... But notice what else you might, have been, you might have appreciated. The text goes on to say he had greaves. He also, you see, was clothed with armament. Its weight isn't given. I estimated and I'm simply asserting it would seem at minimum. The totality of the armament that he was carrying would have weighed at least 175 pounds. That includes helmet, greaves, shield, all the various elements that are particularly mentioned. If you add 175 to 450, he may well have been carrying around well over 600 pounds. Are you getting an impression of what it would have been like to see him, to meet him, especially if he had not your goodness at his thought? What a foe he must have appeared. Not only that, you'll notice at the bottom... I wonder how he would have compared in size to a typical Israelite man. We all know he's about to come face to face with David. I wonder how big David would have been. I simply looked up some of the features of the typical size of a Jewish or Israelite man, and I have it there at the bottom. You may notice about five feet three, typical height, weight, probably well less than 200 pounds. I say all of that to say our first lesson of the evening, some foes are large. Some foes are daunting. Some foes appear to be overwhelmingly large. Surely, as one gives comparison of Goliath, the Philistine champion, to a typical Jewish man like David, or for that matter, even like Saul, it must have appeared to be what you and I see at the bottom. Goliath would have stood four and a half feet taller than David and probably outweighed him by well over 350 pounds. In terms of a battle, it would seem to be no match. It would seem as if Goliath would have had an easy time in victory. But you might notice our reading is going to quickly continue. But as it does, one more picture. Here is a to-scale drawing, if my figures are right, about the size of Goliath compared to the size of someone perhaps that stood five feet three. Look at that. Would it have appeared 
impossible for the smaller one to win. Would it have appeared not only unlikely, but yea, virtually impossible? May we begin say the first lesson, some foes appear large. Let's read on in our chapter, beginning in verse number 8. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. After the description we just noted, you can imagine the trembling character of the knees of many in Israel. Here was Goliath calling them and taunting them, Give me a man. I'm willing to fight. Where's your courage? Where is your fortitude? Where is the wherewithal that you claim to believe in and have confidence in this so-called God of heaven? Let's fight. Verse number 11 quickly says, When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The foes you and I face can bring us an element of fear, at least extreme concern. And they can present to you and I those matters that can cloud our mind and judgment. They too can cause us to be dismayed. They can cause us, you see, to also have an element of extreme concern, perhaps even fear. It's no wonder that in that light, we arrive at verse 12 that takes us to the opening issues on that slide. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. If I may paraphrase a few of the matters on that slide. You may notice that he now immediately the transition switches to tell us about one of the sons of, De of Jesse. Jesse had eight boys. The three oldest ones were serving in the army of Saul. They were there to see Goliath day after day. They heard his taunts and they were aware of what the challenge was. Those three are named for us in this passage. You'll notice that they were, verse number 13, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah. David, as the youngest, was tending to the, to the sheep of his father, but the day came, the time arrived, wherein Jesse had desired to find out how the boys in the war were doing and also to send some supplies. And thus, he commissioned David to go and take the supplies and to find out how Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah were doing. David happened to arrive, and you and I will notice in verse number 19 it says, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. The war, you see, the particulars of it were raging hot. Goliath was appearing twice every day, challenging, taunting, insisting, demanding. Our foes, you see, can also be a bit relentless. 
they sometimes don't take much of a rest. They challenge us every day. And as they do so, of course, Goliath presented his challenge. We arrive at verse number 20. David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran unto the army and came and saluted his brethren. David arrived. At the time when the battle, to some degree, was pursuing. And you'll notice that as the slide quickly tells us. David came to learn. He heard what Goliath said. He heard the challenge. He heard the defiance that Goliath issued regarding not only God's army, the Israelite army, but of the God of heaven himself. David was not only confused and perplexed, he was a bit upset. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the God of heaven? Do you hear his confidence? Do you hear the assurance that he knew concerning the God who was behind the Israelite army? At this point, notice verse 23. As he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king, will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. David learned that Saul had made an assurance. The man of our army that can kill him, Goliath, I will give to him my daughter to wed. I not only will do that, I will guarantee freedom for that man and his family. They'll not have to pay any taxes. That'd probably excite a lot of people, both then and now, wouldn't it? Maybe one last thing. Verse 26. David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? At this point, could we all notice there was something different about the attitude and disposition of David. The foe didn't frighten him. The foe did not cause David to tremble. He matter-of-factly asked, What will be done to the man that not only fights him but kills him? We find in David that although the foe caused the other men in Israel to tremble, to be afraid, and even to run, to retreat... It was not so of David. He was aware of the enemy. He knew about the foe. But he also knew who was on his side. He had an understanding, you see, that was quite different than the other Israelite soldiers. Even the king Saul could not say what David had said. Let's close that slide like this. David's brother Eliab in verse 28 heard what David said. He heard these statements that David had made. And not only that, he rebuked David for it. That element in rebuke 
comes to us in verses 28 and 29. But the confidence that David had expressed was brought to King Saul. Saul was such that it was shared with him. There's a man in our camp, David, who has shared thoughts of confidence and thoughts of assurance. And he has exhibited and expressed a fact that he can defeat him. Who is he to defy the armies of Israel? As you close that slide with me, it brings us very quickly to a second lesson of the evening. As you and I begin, we notice something rather interesting. I've entitled it like this. When David had expressed that confidence, and remember, he would have been overwhelmed in size facing Goliath, but that didn't deter David. Second lesson is this. What is one of the things David himself mentioned when Saul asked him about the confidence he felt? I'd like to read at least part of it. In verse number 32, that conversation between David and Saul takes place. And now, as we particularly come to verse 34, David speaking said this, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. One of the features that had led to the confidence in David was the victories he previously had enjoyed. The victories he previously had experienced. I defeated a bear and a lion. By itself, that's no small statement to make. Among you and I, how would we fare against a lion? Against a bear? I like to think we do okay, but I might suggest, depending on the circumstances, it might not go well. David had not only fought these, he had not only salvaged the sheep, he defeated the animals. That seemingly was what David mentioned when Saul asked him about his confidence today. Could you and I then say, when we face the foes of our life, one of the things that can bring us an element of heartfelt assurance is the victories that we have previously been blessed to experience in various and sundry ways in life, the same God that was with us then can be with us now and will be with us now and will afford for us opportunities of victory emerging triumphantly over these foes that are now in our path. David, you see, relied upon previous victories as an element to positive thinking. You may quickly observe lesson three because verse 37 from David's own words David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, He will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. Don't you just love what David said? He was standing before the most powerful man in Israel, King Saul, and he matter-of-factly said, Don't you know, the same God that delivered me out of the bear's mouth and his paw and seemingly for the lion... He will deliver me from this Philistine. That kind of confidence is not typical in our world. And with that kind of behavior and conduct in you and me, it will appear in us different than what the world appreciates. 
And that kind of confidence can be very meaningful in our heart and in our life. That confidence will quickly take us to verse 38. You'll notice on the slide, the text now interestingly states, And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put an helmet of brass upon his head, and he also he armed him with a coat of mail. We might pause at this point and say, at this point you might take note that one of the things I think is fair to say, here was Saul, again the king in Israel, and the text says that he took his own armor, so Saul's armor, and he put it upon David. That would seem to suggest that the size of David was at least comparable in size to Saul. Or surely Saul wouldn't have tried to put on David some armor that was vastly too big. Because that would obviously have been a disaster. If they were roughly the same size, we then appreciate David wasn't just a small boy at this point, but nonetheless at least an appreciable sized man. But nonetheless, he was unskilled at fighting anyone like Goliath. And that's what concerns all. So verse 39 says, David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them, and David put them off him. That armor that Saul had placed upon David... David quickly concluded, I have approved this. I have not taken it into battle, tested it to see the wherewithal that it will permit me to labor effectively in battle. And so he put it off him, and rather verse 40 says this, He took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. He put off that heavy armor. He put off the character that was surrounding it. He took his staff, his scrip, his sling, and five stones. And the text says in verse number 40, he drew near to the Philistine. Remember, Goliath has issued his challenge. Bring a man out to me. If he defeats me, we'll be your servant. But if I kill him, you'll be our servant. Everything was on the line. David took with him the armament with which he was comfortable, that which he had proven more than once, no doubt. And now verse number 41 reads like this. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog, that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. And I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, 
and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. We'll continue our reading in a moment, but for the moment, let's continue that slide by making a few more observations. And I've asked you to note at the bottom, Goliath. Not only did he appear so daunting, but did you hear his words? He insulted David, and he blasphemously spoke about David's God. Sometimes our enemies, our foes, may ultimately involve matters related to religion. They'll try to bring doubt, and they'll try to bring an element of questioning character concerning our faith. There have been more than once that debates have taken place between those who follow God and those who do not. And one of their claims of the infidels is, how can you believe in a God who lets your family member become ill? And the prayers that you offer seemingly make no difference. Do you really want to believe in a God like that? And it takes an element in conviction and understanding as David apparently had. He was able to approach Goliath, and did you notice he did so with tremendous confidence, knowing that in that moment all of the strength and fortitude did not rest with him. The battle isn't mine, David would say. He would understand so well in verse number 47, puts it in these words. And all this assembly, remember this is David speaking, shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. Goliath, you come to me. And did you notice Goliath had a, a, another servant carrying his shield? So there was two of them and only one of David. David nonetheless ran to where Goliath was. Fear didn't grip him because he had placed confidence and he well knew by previous considerations that the victories he formerly had known would equip him for this one as well. Did you notice the things that David mentioned that Goliath had? Thou comest to me, verse 45, with sword, with spear, with shield. All those things only have extent connected to the length of your arm and then the added length of them. But David, you see, had a sling. He could fire at distance. And he knew he was accurate. And he knew that by that methodology and by that tactical strategy, he had something that Goliath did not have. And that confidence and that conviction, coupled with God's capability on his side, was all that David knew he needed. As you and I close that slide, should we not then say when we face our foes, it's very vital to be certain that we know whose the battle is. In the language I put there, we should be clear on the source of strength. The battle is the Lord's. It doesn't rest with you and I. Human capacity and human capability fail in the light of oftentimes what these foes present to us. David, though outweighed by as much as he was, it would be somewhat like today. Imagine you or I getting in a wrestling ring with a sumo wrestler. How well would our chances be? Well, many would think that's about the chances David had, but David knew something that others didn't. 
Do you remember when we read in the book of Judges about those skilled Benjamites who could use a sling and not miss? Who could in fact cast a stone at a hair's breadth? It would seem David was about that skilled with a sling. And he could hit that target, whatever he wished that target to be. And thus, lesson number five. We have, in fact, seemingly read many aspects that relate to it, but look at the wording. Isn't it not interesting, the victorious character of the language that David used? May I again ask you to note, this day he told Goliath, God will deliver you into my hand. And not only that, you and your Philistine fellow soldiers, and I'm going to take your head from your body. That's confidence. Might you and I have an attitude that takes us to verses like Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7. That we will acknowledge the Lord in all our ways, and He shall direct thy paths. That's powerful, isn't it? In a world that is so often gone astray, and the devil, you see, leads so many to question, to have mistrust. And yet, like David, perhaps that's why this is so refreshing to read about. This David, who unlike the other members of the Israelite army, he knew about his armament. He knew what would work and what wouldn't. And his conviction in God led him to run to, the, to Goliath. Goliath didn't have to come find David. David went to where he was. That kind of conviction takes you to Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast thy burdens upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. That's something that each of us can utilize, especially when we face our foes, knowing that the power that is with us is greater than the power that is with them. As that slide rolls forward, one last thing in verse 48. It says, And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Can't you just visualize it? Here's the Elah Valley, and Goliath had come down from the hill on the southern side. And as he comes out, he spots in the distance this person that doesn't look armed. In fact, it looks rather small, especially compared to him. But yet he's running to Goliath. He doesn't seem to be made to come. He is of his own volition, of his own choice. The text says he hasted to Goliath. Now, verse number 49, And David put his hand in his bag, and took thence a stone, and slang it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead, and the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. Lesson number six, another element we quickly see. A means in activity. By that I mean this. Quite often it pays to be very active as we consider the foe that we face. If we merely wait passively, other forces can array on the side of the foe and it might even be more challenging and more difficult. But when we take the initiative, often things can be portrayed in a fashion that more suits to our successes and to our devices, 
And when we are aligned with God, that then will only go that much the better in our favor. David, you see, ran toward him. And no doubt he positioned himself in an appropriate fashion and at a safe distance took that stone. And he used it in the way that he was capable of using. Verse number 49, as you and I have just read it, he took one stone of the five that he had selected. And he slang it, the text says, and it embedded in the forehead of this giant Goliath. Goliath, no doubt, was plodding, running, perhaps the best he could, in a forward direction. And his momentum, no doubt, brought him forward, falling upon his front, falling upon his face. The next verse, now verse 50, will say this. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Using those matters, again, that he had already noted, we come to this slide. Now David having no sword, as the text had just reminded us, verse 51 says, Therefore David ran. And stood upon the Philistine. You can well imagine, again, the size of this giant now lying upon the ground. And David perched upon him. It says, David took his sword, Goliath's sword, and drew it out of the sheath and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Can you imagine in the distance what the two armies must have now thought? As David and as Goliath were at first running toward each other, perhaps the Israelites were beginning to ponder, what are we going to do? Surely David's going to lose and we're going to be their servants. By the same token, the Philistines may well have thought, this is going to go our way. Get ready to celebrate, men. We're going to have them serve us and we'll have our way with all of their women this night. But how quickly things changed. David extracted the stone, fired it toward Goliath, and suddenly the giant was on the ground. I can imagine the mouths of many must have fallen open on both sides. Because David, the youth, at least the one far smaller than Goliath, had brought Goliath not only to his knees, had brought him to the ground. And by the same token, the Philistines, you could just notice, they became very afraid and they fled. The tables had turned. As you and I close that slide, the seventh and final lesson. It brings us to the close of this particular matter that we have discussed. The might of the Lord's providence and David's weaponry. He had used what was available to him and that with which he was comfortable. And it had been enough. It had been more than enough. It was sufficient because in the hand of the God of heaven, it had been utilized to fail the great giant. Israel would enjoy that day a tremendous victory over the Philistines and for years thereafter, ultimately even in the great time of David's reign as king, his victory over the Philistines was often to be noted. As you and I close this slide and close this lesson, 
when you and I face our foes in life, I hope we've learned a few elements and wisdom from David, from the inspired Holy Spirit recording it for us, that might be of benefit to us. This next slide is merely a summary of the ones we've noted. I'm sure as we consider some of the other elements in this inspired saga, it would be useful to at least remember these seven. First of all, acknowledge the fact some foes are large and they're mighty, and it shall take a great wherewithal to defeat them. But number two, might we ever remember previous victory and allow that to be a source of strength and a source of confidence? And with that confidence, may we be confident in the Lord and understand the source of our strength and connection to Him should remind us that didn't Jesus say, to you who are troubled, rest with us. Jesus said that in John 14, 1. Those apostles were about to face many daunting challenges in the weeks ahead as they would be the emissaries leading the church. Jesus told them, don't you be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now that thought takes us to lesson five. Trust in the Lord. Be active in those matters over which we have control. And finally, have confidence in the weaponry made available to us through the character of God's provision and allow His providence to take its effect. This evening, if you and I are not faithful to the Lord, if there's anyone in this assembly that isn't a faithful New Testament Christian, you don't have access to the source of strength, the power supply that David did. It's the same one that Paul used on a shipwreck in Acts 27. Tonight, if we could be of assistance to you, why don't you return to your first love, or to return to the Lord as a wayward child of God? We'd be honored to pray for you. Making note of your repentance and confession, He has promised, guaranteed to restore you to faithfulness. If you've never become a Christian, however, to this point in your life, you have turned your back upon the God that loves you, on the Savior that died for you. You don't need to continue in that state. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth, to quote Proverbs 27.1. Tonight, if we could help you by observing your belief, your repentance, confession, and assisting you in baptism, we'd be happy to do it. If we can help in any way tonight, let us know, would you, while together we stand and while we sing.